Hello, fiction fans. Thank you so much for tuning in to Not Just Any Other Story. My name is Anita Capri, and I'm so happy I can bring my love of writing and telling stories to you. I hope you can sit back today and enjoy listening to a good story, followed up by some thoughts from our guest. I've decided to start off my first series of podcasts with The Shopping Cart People. It's a novel I wrote and published in 2012, and I will admit it's no literary masterpiece, but it's quirky and funny, and you will just fall in love with at least one character. I can guarantee that. I would say The Shopping Cart People is uh, definitely close to my heart because it's based on pretty much all the people in the book are based on people I know. Don't worry, they don't mind. So every week we will delve into a chapter or two of the book and then we'll have a little discussion, kind of like a book club. But sorry, only one guest at a time. Today I have with me my dear friend Anne. She's a very fitting guest because she was such a great supporter when I wrote this first novel and I couldn't definitely couldn't have persevered through the process without her. So it's also great to have girlfriends to talk with, isn't it? So welcome Anne. Thank you. It's great to be here. I'm so looking forward to hearing uh, more of the shopping cart people. And yes, it was f- fun to be around when you were composing and editing and um, now I won't use that word. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what? Actually, I remember I used to phone you yes. and every time I finished a couple of chapters and you would say, no, oh yes, it was lovely with your Welsh accent. And um, yeah, it was really nice to be able to bounce off every well, chapter I, with you. And, so. I, and I loved hearing it. It was fun. It was very, very fun. <laughs> I liked it. All right. Well, you'll, um, by the way, I, I should mention my song. Oh, so nice. we started off the podcast with a song, and it's it's an original Anita Capri, <laughs> and um, it was recorded actually on my own piano. So you'll hear the, the rest of the song at the end of the podcast, but just a little tidbit of information. All right, so here we go. I'm going to get comfortable here. Okay. okay, chapter one of The Shopping Cart People is called Shopping Cart Morality. If I had to narrow it down to one thing, it would have to be the suit. Only someone who's guilty of something, of some shady deal or other, would sport pinstripes and shiny Italian leather shoes on such a scorching hot Sunday afternoon. His dark sunglasses made him look even more sinister, more criminal. I bet he never takes those sunglasses off his head, I mumbled to myself. Moira, my cohort during such missions, was nodding. I think you're right, Angel, she admitted finally. He's definitely one of them, but I don't think it's the sunglasses. Check out his strut. We watched him plow through the parking lot, pushing his cart in a perfectly straight line as it scraped along the pavement. His robotic gait, the way he placed one foot in front of the other, set him apart from everyone else so that no matter how hard he tried, his attempt at blending in was a complete failure. It wasn't often that Moira agreed with me on such matters, but I had the man in the black suit pegged from the moment I'd laid eyes on him. I knew I wore a self-righteous expression that screamed, I told you so. He reached his car and jerked to a sudden stop and casting a wary glance around threw some parcels into the back seat. Any moment now and he'll make his move, I warned Moira. He closed the car door and his eyes darted left and then right, almost as if he knew someone was watching. His movements were calculated and rigid. Beads of sweat glimmered on his nose and forehead. Was it nerves or just the heat or both? Then he did it. He ditched his shopping cart, jumped in the front seat and took off his wheels squealing in one last incriminating act of negligence. Guilty as charged, Moira boomed. I told you, I just knew it. You could tell as soon as he got out of the store. 
I shook my head in disgust at this travesty of parking lot etiquette. Moira turned on the air conditioning and closed her window while I ranted on about the man who would join the ranks of the shopping cart people forever. She turned the vents toward her to allow the cool air to blow into her flushed cheeks and closed her eyes as if she hadn't heard a word I'd said. Then she leaned back in her seat and shook her head in a gesture of self-disapproval. I can't believe I'm sitting here watching to see if people put their carts in the, what's it called again? The cart carousel, I reminded her for the hundredth time. Yeah, the cart carousel. If one of our friends could see us now. Moira chuckled to herself. Honestly, Angel, how do you get me to do such silly things? I don't make you do anything. I'm simply proving my theory correct. I couldn't help but smile as I glanced over at Moira. My dearest friend, an unwilling hostage to these spur-of-the-moment witch hunts. She was always challenging me despite my insistence that I had an innate ability to spot the shopping cart people. You know you were just lucky that time, she said, her eyes still closed. Yeah, yeah, I know, and I obsess about it, I know. You don't have to say it again, I answered, a sigh of exasperation escaping me a little too obviously. You said it, I didn't, Moira concluded smugly. I didn't answer her, there was no point. I knew I was a little preoccupied by this one little pet peeve, but either way, obsession or just preoccupation, it was necessary, because if I stopped getting angry about people who left their shopping carts in the middle of a crowded parking lot, then I might as well stop worrying about global warming, orphans, the plight of the polar bears, and of course nuclear disaster. And I worry about all of them. It's not that I'm all about doom and gloom, but the shopping cart thing, that's just the tip of the iceberg, a sign of what's to come. Soon there won't be any such thing as waiting in lineups or taking a number, just chaos. Each man, woman, and child for themselves. It's frightening. I can't help but fear the kind of world awaiting my own son's future, one where common courtesy has become an idealistic notion that had its time and place once in the not-so-distant past. Before I could plunge into one of my dark moods, Mara turned up the radio, as she always did when she was ready to go. I took the hint and put the car into drive, recalling as I peeled out of the parking lot that my mother would be dropping by my place sometime late afternoon. I was already dreading what I knew wouldn't be a casual visit, but one with some hidden agenda. My mother wasn't into stopping by without a purpose, and I knew that involved it involved my sister's party the next weekend and the fact that I had not committed to going yet. Sprawled comfortably across the couch, I stared at the neon numbers on the digital cable box. Five o'clock already. My gaze wandered across the room and through the glass sliding doors. My ponderings of human frailty at its finest were suddenly swept away by the sight of my pretty stone patio outside, which seemed to be grazing in the last rays of the late afternoon sun. My father, brother, and a few select friends had constructed the patio and accompanying rectangular pergola in two days. The lattice walls on each side were adorned with vines that reached up but didn't quite touch the outdoor lanterns that hung along the top. In the evening, they transformed the little shelter into a cozy outdoor haven. Though it seemed almost too grand for my little two-bedroom bungalow, I loved it because it reminded me of how my father had helped me turn this tired, 50-year-old house into my very own palace. Though he'd been a contractor for eons, I knew that this project, along with the new floors, bathrooms, and wall knockdowns that had taken over two years to complete, were all done with as much heart and soul as an artist striving for that great masterpiece, and I loved him for it. I noticed a few wine glasses sitting on the patio table, a subtle reminder of the difference between a Saturday night and a Sunday afternoon in August. 
breaking the silence the sound of my mother's voice with just a hint of an Italian accent rang through the house. Angelica, are you there? Hi, Mom, I'm in here. I called back, smiling at the fact that my mother was the only one who called me by my full name, Angelica. Getting up slowly, I ran my fingers through my damp hair until they got stuck in a tremendous knot and remembered that I'd forgotten to brush it out after my shower. I just brought you a few things from the grocery store, she was saying. I could hear the rustling of paper and plastic as she placed the groceries on the kitchen table. I wondered at that moment if my mother had put away her shopping cart. Then I remembered that she always carried her own little cart on wheels, bless her heart. She peeked around the corner and took in my messy appearance. She didn't comment on my hair, nor the stained pair of sweatpants I was wearing, but I knew she wanted to. Mom was great at restraint, a trait I had not inherited but learned painfully through experience. I brought you some buns from the bakery too, she announced as she turned to go back into the kitchen. Mmm, thanks. I felt my mouth water as I followed her. From Montanero's, she added. Montanero's was by far the best bakery in our neck of the woods. Mom pulled out the buns in a baguette from a large brown paper bag. The aroma of sweet, warm dough seeped up through my nostrils. I closed my eyes and took a deep breath. It's almost homemade, she explained apologetically. I adored the little nuances that accompanied my mother's unique brand of English. Though her omission of the letter H was a favorite amongst my siblings, I appreciated even more the musical way in which she rolled the letter R, so that with every phrase spoken it sounded like she was saying the word amore. Surely this must be why Italian is one of the romantic languages. She emptied a couple of bags with some other goodies onto the table. Here's some treats for you and Ari, she said proudly, pulling out a bag of Doritos and a jar of Nutella. I didn't have the heart to tell her that I hadn't really liked Nutella, a chocolate nut spread, since I was about 12. I'm not sure what changed my mind at that point in my life, but the thought of spreading chocolate on a piece of bread just didn't have the same appeal that it did when I was a kid. Mom was saying something, but I was only half tuned in until her words and my thoughts were both interrupted by a loud pop in the street. Though it startled me for a moment, the familiar sound of Eddie Bickner's old pickup truck quickly reassured me that there was nothing to fear. What was that? Mom asked, still a little shaken. Oh, that's just the guy next door, Eddie. Every time he drives that old pickup lately, it makes that loud popping noise. I wish he would get the stupid thing fixed. Mom slid into a chair and rested her chin in the palm of her hand, as if she were waiting for a long story about Eddie, the neighborhood male slut. Who's that? she asked. That nice-looking boy next door? Oh, yes, that's him. He has the best taste in clothes and girls, too, but he drives that crappy truck. Well, maybe he can't afford it, my mother said this with some authority, admonishing me. I bet his girlfriend doesn't care about what kind of car he drives. Mom, I informed her. He tells all the girls he dates that his Porsche is either in the shop or being used in some car show. He's such a bullshitter. As if she didn't want to acknowledge that she had misjudged this man about whom she knew nothing anyway, she quickly changed the subject. Are you going to your sister's party next Saturday? You know she's expecting you to go. There it is, the reason she stopped by. She looked at me intently, waiting for an answer. I took my time thinking about whether I should say I was going or not, deciding on which would call for the least amount of motherly advice about whom I could meet or how I would dress for the occasion. Beverly said that some of her old high school friends will be there, she added, her right brow raised, anticipating a reaction. What high school friends, I asked, trying to keep my voice steady and my curiosity in check. 
I don't know, really. Two guys she used to know in school came into the restaurant the other night. Since my sister Bev and her husband Hans had opened their trendy new restaurant in Toronto, scores of acquaintances, past and present, seemed to come out of the woodwork. Most had been people we'd met since moving to the city almost 15 years ago. I didn't say anything, so my mother continued with her prodding. So you're going, right, Angelica? Without waiting for an answer, she continued. Make sure you call your sister to see if she needs something. I already knew I would have to go to my sister's housewarming party. I wouldn't want to disappoint Bev. Being the oldest, she was the most controlling and intimidating of my siblings. After her was Tilly, my greatest confidant, then me and the baby of the family, my brother Matt. My mother wanted her children to be close, as I'm sure most mothers do, and she prided herself on the fact that we all still spoke to each other on a regular basis. At least my sisters and I did. Matt, who lived in Florida, was much less reachable, especially when his wife Caroline answered the phone. Matt never seemed to be home or available when one of us called, but he didn't let too much time go by without contacting each one of us, usually from his cell phone. During those rare opportunities when we were all together in the same room at the same time, it was like it had always been, with the teasing, laughter, and playful banter. I think my mother feared that we would all lose touch as we grew older and went off to live our respective lives. My parents had always insisted that blood is thicker than water, while we were growing up and perhaps it had worked on us. But I don't think Mom realized she didn't have to try so hard. She and my father had done their job right. If I hadn't shown up at my sister's place for her celebration, she would have been mad. But she would have forgiven me, eventually. That's what I loved about her and my other siblings. Although Tilly could prolong the agony a little longer than any other member of the family, grudges were usually short-lived. Why doesn't Derry come over to eat with us on Saturday night while you're at the party, she suggested. Sure, let me talk to him. I can drop him off on the way. I realized then that I had just committed to going to the party and for my 14-year-old son, Harry, to spend a Saturday night with his grandparents. Clever woman, Mom was. Damn clever woman. Harry, thank goodness, was just as forgiving as the rest of the O'Leary family. Despite, despite his lanky frame, a mop of blonde hair, and bright blue eyes, he was witty and mature beyond his years. He was my world, and had been for a good part of my own youth. I had just turned 30 in May, just a few short months ago, and rather than having a child who went to birthday parties with clowns and needed babysitters, like most mothers I knew at my age, my son could actually do the babysitting. Mom got up from her chair and opened the fridge, perusing its contents while pretending to be thirsty. Then she looked around to see what needed to be done. Dishes to wash, counters to tidy, advice to give me, and most importantly, the lowdown on what the specials of the week were at the different grocery stores, always settle about what I was lacking in my cupboards. I watched her from the kitchen doorway and thought about how beautiful she looked still. My mother was blessed with flawless skin. Though she showed some signs of aging, she had a youthful look about her. She wore her hair short and dyed it dark brown to match her pre-gray tresses. I wondered as I stared at her, a half-smile playing on my lips, how I would look at 57. I could only hope that I'd follow in my mother's footsteps. Okay, my dear, I'm going. She turned around and kissed me on the forehead. Mom always gave random kisses on the forehead and it made me feel like I was five years old again. I recalled a quote I had read on the back of a Starbucks coffee cup once. Do not kiss your children so they will kiss you back, but so they will kiss their children and their children's children. Noah Benchia, a poet, came up with that one. I loved Noah Benchia. How could I not? 
Mom adjusted her sunglasses, which she had placed on the top of her head, and searched through her oversized purse, looking for the keys to her car. When she finally found them, she turned to go, reminding me to give Harry a kiss from his nonna when he came home. Then she pranced out the side entrance in much the same way she'd come in. I resumed my earlier position on the couch, much less angry at the world and feeling slightly reminiscent. So that's the end of chapter one of okay. Shopping Cart Morality. Okay. It's interesting, you know, that I wrote this in 2012. Right. And so yes. I, it really, when I reread this again yesterday, um, and I was saying, imagine what it's going to be like, what the future's going to be like, chaos, yeah. and, you know, people being uncourteous, and, you know, and, oh, my gosh, we've come, we've, we're there. Yes. yes I feel like we, the yeah. world's become that way. That's right. And I have to say that I have, I get, I get very um, upset when I see people <laughs> who don't put their shopping carts back. And in fact, what I often do, and I do mean often, I take a shopping cart that I see abandoned in this parking lot, and I take it back to the shop. <laughs> I do the same thing. <laughs> and, you know, I'll, or if someone's unloaded their, um, their, their cart at the at their car, I'll say, shall I take that back for you? So <laughs> nobody can, has to leave their car there if I am around. Right. I'm there. Right. <laughs> it's funny. You remember our friend Dave yes. was telling us that he, yes. after I told him about how much I hate when shopping cart yes. people don't put their shopping carts back, yes. he said he was shopping one day and his cart was broken, but he was so scared to not to leave it there because he was thinking of me and he knew I would never forgive him yeah. so he uh oh, and so he wouldn't have done. no no but he but he actually said he he wouldn't have left the drag that thing to that cart thing carousel because he was scared he was scared yeah, yeah. I think he was scared. you don't want to be told off by <laughs> Okay, okay. <laughs> didn't I say? Didn't I say in my trailer? But there's no holding back. Yeah, See, now right. I'm gonna get judged. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, well, if you you have to, if you don't want to be judged, you can't judge other people. You <laughs> That's say. true. Yeah. That so you have true. to just let everybody be whoever they want to be. It's true. Yes, that is yeah. true. It's um. Anyway, any any other comments? Any other things you want you I, to I, stuck I, out to you? Because I know your family. I love all the descriptions of them yeah I love yeah. them you yeah. know especially I remember I mean I remember your mother very very well and uh, that that brought it all back to me again thinking yeah. about her yeah. you know and how lovely she was yeah yeah she really was lovely. and how it was all about food <laughs> food was very important yeah. well I wonder if that's why it's important to you it must be yeah yeah when, because when you, you grew up with that it's yes yeah because uh yes you really know what you're going to cook when you're going to cook it how are you going to cook it <laughs> with me <laughs> me it's like oh i wonder what i'll have tonight hmm <laughs> open the fridge door and just right. see we have it all planned out yeah and the fresh bread's really important yeah. oh yes it is yeah. yes yeah. yeah did you you know you know that more as you right you, yeah you yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there are so many things that reminded me just rereading that first chapter yeah. of you and how I make you do things. Yes, and, and yes, and I actually made a note saying, yeah, that she, you know, you really do make me do things. I'm no holding back, you know. Right, right. And uh, you know, and and actually, the, the shopping carts—it's more than a pet peeve with you. 
Yeah. When you mentioned it's a pet peeve, yeah, it's an absolutely disgust and dislike of people who do that. <laughs> it's not just a pet peeve. Yeah, it's, it is. It's uh, it's more because than that. to me, this, it's funny because this novel started out very differently. I wasn't going to write a novel. I was actually going to write about things that I said in the beginning. Yeah, that, yeah. that were an indication of yeah. where what has happened to our society. Yeah, yeah. And so for me, that's what when somebody doesn't do do that simple little thing. Yeah, yeah. And it can bang into somebody else's car, or it makes more work for the people that work at that store. It's it's an indication of what how we've sort of lost a sense of being yeah, courteous yeah. and yeah you know I, I agree and I think that I, I can never understand don't they realize that when they leave the car the car there that the wind is going to yeah but they don't care you see do they because yeah. they're okay they're just going to get in their car and go. <laughs> yeah. they don't care that, that if the shopping cart goes from other yeah. people's cars yeah you know it's... yeah I, I've, I've often thought that it you have opened my mind about, <laughs> about shopping carts <laughs> well that's why it's called shopping yeah. cart morality yes, the first chapter yes yes, yes. Yes. Right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so should we go ahead with the second yeah. uh, chapter? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I really love the second chapter. Okay. Well, I'll tell you why after. Okay. okay. So just yeah. uh, let's start that. Chapter two, the party. Bev's housewarming party was less than a week away, and I was well aware of my sisterly obligation to attend. Though I have always been, by nature, a social creature at heart, there is always anxiety involved when just such an occasion presents itself. I couldn't help but be a little hesitant about going, particularly at the mention of former high school friends. I didn't know many of the friends my sister chummed with when she was a teenager. Being a few years older than me, she was into dating and partying when I was still wearing braids in my hair. When we moved to the big city, I was still 15 and she was in her last year of high school. I was homeschooled that year. Being pregnant in a Catholic school was not exactly something to be condoned. I didn't get out much in the evenings and the few parties, and I mean very few, I attended as a teenager had not been positive experiences for me. There was something about being a mother at 16 that just didn't mesh with the teen party scene. When I met a guy and started talking to him, I sometimes slipped up and confessed to having a child. Then suddenly he would have to go to the bathroom or see where his friends were and I'd never see him again. Once my sister Tilly made a scene at a party when a guy tried to ditch me after one of his buddies informed him that I was used goods and had a kid to prove it. We'd spent hours talking and dancing and making out and then later he was nowhere to be found. Tilly found him though and went right at him before we left. I'm pretty sure she broke his tooth, or maybe it was his nose. In any case, that was the last time I went to a high school party after Harry was born. Even the university scene didn't reel me in. Being a young single mother just didn't leave much time or energy for partying or socializing, despite how many times my mother offered to babysit. And it didn't help that I was always, always had to be at the top of my class or put in the most hours during my practicum training in vet school. It was like I had something to prove, like I had to let everyone know that just because I got pregnant at 15, it didn't mean I gave up on my dream of having a career, of being something important. I didn't resent it either, missing out on the 20-something social scene. I had my two greatest passions, Harry and the animals I cared for. So when a friend or one of my sisters tried to get me out to go to some party or event, I usually refused. In retrospect, I do wonder whether I have remained a little naive because of it. 
and guarded where relationships are concerned. Though motherhood happened early for me, I was years behind other girls my age in terms of dating and knowing how to appear available. Even the father of my own son didn't count as a boyfriend, at least not in the true sense of the word. Finally, as I approached the end of my twenties, I somehow came to realize that Harry wouldn't love me any less and the world of veterinary care would not fall apart if I took a night off to have some fun. For the most part, my phobia has become a thing of the past, thanks to my sisters and Moira, all of whom helped me to ease my transition into the mood to more adult party scenes. And I am constantly learning. On the night of my sister's housewarming party, as I went through my closet trying to find something to wear, it suddenly occurred to me that I had fallen victim at the mature age of 30 to what normal women experience, something akin to the pre-party jitters. Whether it was the anticipation of who was going to be there or the lead up to those moments where subtle gestures and words would mince together in some form of flirtatious play, I had that charged up feeling. I wondered as I changed from one blouse to the next, throwing random items of clothing on the bed, if this youthful, exhilarating abandonment was unique to single women. By the time I had tried on my eighth or ninth top, I decided that choosing the party wear had to be the most complex part of the whole pre-party process. I examined myself in the mirror with each change of clothes and accessories as if I were exploring all of my distinct sides, each new combination symbolizing some part of myself. And the questions never ceased as I wondered if what I was wearing was too casual, too come hither, not come hither enough, too high, too low, too clingy, too loose, too plain, too wild, too dark, too light. And finally, do I know anyone else that has the same outfit and could wear it to the same party? Despite all of these pressing considerations, I knew in the end I would choose something that would make me look the thinnest, whether consciously or unconsciously. As I considered my choices, which were strewn haphazardly across the bed, I heard the side door by the kitchen open and then slam shut. I always loved the sound of the door slamming shut like that because it meant that Harry was home. Mom, where are you? He called. I'm here in my bedroom, I shouted back. Come on in, I need your help. Harry entered the bedroom and upon seeing the heaps of clothing on the bed, the rejects thrown on the floor, he smiled in his usual jeering way. Having fun, Mom? Don't tell me, he guessed. You're going to a party. Yes, I am. I'm going to Aunt Bev's housewarming party, remember? He tilted his head to the side and squinted then. Scrunching his nose up, he looked as if he just realized that he'd forgotten to do something very important. No doubt he was recalling the fact that I had committed him to spending the evening with his grandparents, and before he could complain about it, I tried to redirect. Not that Harry had anything against spending time with my mother and father, but it was, after all, one of his last weekends of summer before school started up again for the year. Hey, you've come in just in time, I announced. My excitement slightly exaggerated. Oh no, he protested, knowing what he was in for. Oh yes, my dear Harry, you will be the deciding factor in tonight's party wear. Okay, mom, he said, but can it wait until my show is over? It's just about to start. At that moment, I couldn't help but stare at Harry, my wonder, my savior in so many ways. I love the way he knew me so well. And I love that he was always saying the right things. I couldn't fathom life without him. Despite my shortened youth and hardships of having had a child so young, I often wondered whether I would change a thing. Harry never seemed to be hugely affected by the fact that he was fatherless. His grandfather had filled those shoes very well. He had called my father Papa since he could talk, and I was grateful that Dad and Harry were as close as any father and son could be. 
Lately, though, it seemed as if he were asking questions about his real father more frequently. I knew it was coming, and that I couldn't put it off much longer. I'd promised myself that before Harry turned five, I would try to find his father. Then suddenly he was ten, and now here he was, fourteen years old, and I still hadn't fulfilled that promise. I looked at him, standing there smirking. Hmm, let's see, I teased. TV or mom? TV or mom? When I saw the pleading look on his face, I retracted. Go watch your show, but I'm warning you, I may come out and model during the commercials. Deal, he said, and he was out of there in a flash. After a couple of hours of primping, I called Moira, who was herself, making some pre-party decisions. Though 20 years my senior, Moira was in many ways more energetic than I could ever hope to be. Like me, she had been a single mother for many years, but her children were grown and more or less on their own. I was selfishly happy about this because it meant that she could devote more time to me. And she did, with such pleasure. Moira was one of a kind. She was really more like a sister than a friend, and my whole family adored her. Hey, are you ready for the party, my friend? She asked, her voice betraying a woman who was clearly in high spirits. She always was when there was a party to go to. I guess I am. I did a last minute check of my appearance in the mirror. I'll come and pick you up, I said. I just have to drop Harry off at my parents' place. Do you think we could stop by the store so I can get some wine for the party? Moira never went to anyone's house, ever, unless she had a bottle of wine. Sure. Oh, you just reminded me, the housewarming gift. I would have forgotten it. I hadn't yet signed the card nor attached the gift certificate I'd bought for my sister and her husband. Moira giggled, and then there was a long pause, just enough time for me to realize that she was thinking about the cursed present event. A few months previously, we'd been invited to a surprise birthday party for a mutual friend, and from beginning to end, the evening was a complete disaster. Shortly after leaving the house, I remembered that I'd left the birthday gift on the kitchen table. Luckily, we weren't too far away yet and drove back. When I picked the present up off the table and lost hold of it, the ensuing crash to the floor was proof enough that the set of crystal wine glasses with matching tray were no longer intact. We rushed over to the nearest department store to get another gift, already fashionably late for the party. The sales lady did a beautiful job gift wrapping it, and I had to admit it was a more fitting gift than the original and on sale to boot. When we were just about to, to arrive at our destination, we were stopped by police for speeding. To our credit, the young officer gave us a break after we explained our funny situation and flashed him our sexiest smiles. Not that this was hard to do because he was absolutely gorgeous. Then as we were pulling out to leave, we backed into the police car. I guess Moira, who was still staring at this felt creature, had put the car into reverse as opposed to drive. Then we did get a ticket. Our Prince Charming wasn't as amused, but perhaps the most embarrassing part of the evening was when our hostess opened her gift, a handcrafted porcelain lamp. It appeared that our lovely sales lady had forgotten to remove the huge red sail sticker before wrapping it for us. We arrived just in time to help my sister with the hors d'oeuvres. She was all fired up preparing food and welcoming guests who started to arrive. As Maura and I were filling up some trays with some of her homemade appetizers, Hans, Bev's husband, sauntered into the kitchen. We all liked Hans. He was laid back and quiet, but at the same time witty and charming, especially when he had women for an audience. Hello there, he said as he greeted us with a warm smile followed by a hug. How are my little sister-in-law and her little friend? Maura, who loved hearing how young she looked for her age, picked up on his compliment right away. 
I'm your little friend. Yes, I'm your little friend, she chanted gleefully. And where's my beautiful wife, he asked, nibbling on the mini quiche that were sitting on a tray fresh out of the oven. She's being the perfect hostess again, I answered. You better go out and make sure she... Just as I was going to suggest that Hans join his wife in being the perfect host, Beth rushed in looking only slightly annoyed. Hans, where have you been? I could really use your help, you know, she scolded. We all burst into a chorus of laughter. What? she asked, sporting that familiar look of panic. What is it? Do I have something stuck in my teeth? She reached for one of the toothpicks on the counter being used for the appetizers. Hans, knowing just what she needed, intercepted her hand and kissed it gently. You're perfect, Bev. Let's go. She smiled like a woman who was truly in love. Bev was a beautiful woman. She had sophisticated features, big blue eyes like my father's, a straight pointy nose, high cheekbones, and long thick brown hair. When she smiled, she was simply stunning, and if she hadn't made it in the restaurant business, she would have enjoyed much success as a model. Your sister's very lucky, Moira said. Yes, I sighed. I think she's taken the luck from all of us. What do you mean there, Missy? Moira was quick to respond. With a friend like me, you should think yourself the luckiest woman alive. Moira always knew just what to, stay, what to say. Stop trying to me, make me feel better about my less than perfect life, I replied as I stuffed a mini quiche into my mouth. Come on, she said. Let's go be socialites for a few hours, shall we? Yes, let's. We left the kitchen, Moira with her glass of wine in hand, and me following behind her as I pulled my shoulder-revealing peasant blouse, blouse up to my shoulder, wondering to myself why I had dared to wear it in the first place. It was more fun than I had expected talking to friends and mutual acquaintances that my siblings and I had befriended over the years. As the party was getting almost too crowded and I could feel a yawn coming on, Bev came over, took me by the hand, and led me over to two guys who definitely stood out in the crowd. Were these the two my mother had mentioned, the ones that had come into the restaurant recently by sheer coincidence? As Bev introduced them to me, they flashed brilliant smiles, and if I wasn't mistaken, one of them was giving me the once-over. Angel, you've probably never met Colin or Rishi, she said, a devious smile forming at the corner of her mouth. They've been working in New York City the last few years. I had to admit her old school pals were not half bad. Colin, the shorter of the two, had blue eyes and sandy shoulder-length hair. His features were delicate but sharp, and I was curious about how he ended up in New York. By contrast, the other fellow, Rishi, was taller and thinner, much more exotic-looking, with his deep-set, dark eyes, jet-black hair, and olive complexion. They seemed juxtaposed somehow, but altogether beautiful. I couldn't help but notice the expensive watch one was sporting and the designer shirt the other had on. Hmm, good-looking, well-dressed, successful. Damn, I hope they're not gay. Hi, nice to meet you, I managed to say as Bev slipped away, winking at me. Colin leaned into Rishi and whispered loud enough so I could hear, So this is the little sister Bev was always talking about. I decided to play along. And what, pray tell, did my big sister say about me? Oh, I don't know, said Rishi. I don't think we should tell you. You might get angry. The two of them exchanged knowing smiles. At that moment, it struck me that my sister had told them. They knew about me getting pregnant in high school and that now I had a teenage son. I could feel my cheeks starting to burn. How could they joke about it like that? I wasn't impressed. 
You know what, gentlemen, I began, a sardonic twist to my words. I really don't care to know. With that, I turned on my heels and left them in search of Moira and my purse so that I could leave. When I glanced back at them, they looked completely aghast. How could she have told them? So what if it was a long time ago? It's still none of their business. They don't need to know. It's up to me to tell people about my life, isn't it? I found Moira in the kitchen talking to one of Hans's former bosses and fellow restaurateur. Ignoring her exaggerated laughter, she leaned in to say something to this potential suitor. I charged in and quickly explained that I needed to leave the party. She agreed with a nod of disappointment to join me after she'd said her goodbyes. I was in no mood to say goodbye to anyone, so I decided to wait in the car. I tried to slip out the back door, but before I could get a, drip, a grip on the door handle, there was a sharp tug on my arm. What was that all about? Bev stood there, her voice and expression reproachful. What? You mean I shouldn't be ticked because your old pals know my big secret? What secret? For God's sakes, Angel, what are you talking about? Why did you have to tell those guys that I had Harry? I don't even know them, and you've given them my life story already, I cried. I'm glad you have so much faith in me, she said, her arms now crossed like she was getting ready to scold someone. Why would it bother you anyway? You should be proud of having a child like Harry. You don't need to hide it. That was it. I couldn't stay a moment longer. I could feel the anger rise in me like molten lava making its way up the inside of a mountain, ready to explode. I jerked my arm away and swept past her, yelling, I am proud. I just wanted to get to the car and go home. Not only did I feel embarrassed that I had overreacted, but I also felt like I had denied my own son like a mother Judas. Bev had somehow managed to do it again. She was always giving me advice about what to do and how to handle situations concerning Harry, even before she had her own children. I resented it sometimes. After all, I was a mother before she was, and I didn't did it without a husband. I turned the corner toward the front of the house and suddenly found myself crashing into what felt like a brick wall. Startled, I jumped back and realized I had just gone full force into someone's chest. I looked up and beheld a familiar face. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I stood there a moment, completely stunned, as I realized instantly that the eyes looking down at me, the piercing green eyes that had a life and smile of their own, were the very same I had gazed into during the most intimate moments of my life. It was Les Grierson, in the flesh, the most popular guy in high school back in my old hometown, and, unbeknownst to him, Harry's father. He looked down at me, tall and looming like a tower of masculinity. My legs were turning to mush, trying desperately to catch my breath whilst trying to maintain some semblance of calm. He put his hands gently on my shoulders as if to steady me. Are you okay? His voice sounded the same. It was him, all right. There was no mistaking that voice and that face, that splendid face. Immediately, images of him as a teenager began to swirl around in my mind. The visions flooded in like a great wave crashing through a concrete break wall. Yes, I stood there staring. I couldn't speak. Yes, I repeated. Um, is this, are you? He started to say and then hesitated a moment. Oh, dear God, he recognizes me, I thought. What do I do? What do I do? I continued to stare, unable to move. My eyes searched his cautiously for some sign of recognition. I'm looking for some friends. Would this be Bev's house by any chance? He asked. Yes, I said again. Yes, it is. I glanced at the house and saw Moira peering through the kitchen window at me, her expression filled with curiosity. 
Oh, he said and smiled again, as I took in every perfect feature, his soft eyes, his full lips, his dark hair. I was trying to find words, something, anything to say to him. Hi, I'm Les, he held out his hand. It took me a moment to lift mine in response to his greeting. I almost said, yes, of course, I know who you are. But instead, I just said, yes. Damn it, why do I keep saying yes? You like that word, don't you? He responded with a semi-wink. Yes, I answered again. As soon as the word escaped me, we both began to laugh. Then as if someone had just hit me with a rock, I snapped out of my temporary trance. I knew I had to leave. I had to get out of there before he could figure out who I was. Well, actually, I said apologetically, I was just leaving. It was nice to meet you, Les. I offered him a quick smile before I brushed past him, my legs still shaking as if as I made my way across the lawn toward the car. I could feel his eyes following me. Please don't let me trip, please, oh please, God, let me get to the car without tripping. Leaving so soon, he called after me. He seemed to want to continue our conversation. I turned around and took him in once again. He was smiling, standing there with his hands on his hips. His stance was confident, like a man who knew what he wanted and knew he would have no trouble getting it. He had changed little, apart from the fact that he was taller and his hair was much shorter, and he was even better looking than he had been in high school, if that was at all possible. I knew if I didn't turn away from him immediately, I would lose all composure and my legs would give out on me. For a brief moment, all I could think about was Cinderella running from her prince. If only I could leave my shoe behind and have him run after me. Hey, what's your name? He asked. For some unknown reason, the name Betty came to mind first. God knows I wasn't prepared to tell him who I really was, and I knew he wouldn't believe me if I'd said Cinderella. It's Betty, I fibbed. My name is Betty. And that is the end of chapter wow. two. I want to know what happens. <laughs> you don't remember because it's been a no, while. It's a long time, yeah. yeah. I have <laughs> such a picture in my mind of what went on. Yeah. Yeah, the, like the descriptions and the actions and the, like it, it was so, so vivid and so, I don't know, I could just picture every movement. Yeah. And I want to know what happens. <laughs> yeah, you'll have to wait. Yeah. You can't be my guest again next week. <laughs> Oh dear! Yeah, yeah. No, I, I. That was that was very very good. And so she had to leave because uh, of what happened with the two guys. Yeah, yeah. because you know she's sensitive about yes, this, right? Yes. It's it's uh, yeah. it's a little bit of yeah. a hot spot for that's her. That's why she sort of bumped into the old boyfriend. Yeah, because she was so mad. She yeah. wasn't really looking yeah. where she was going. Yeah. Right. That was very clever. The yeah. Way you did that. Yeah. Yeah. So. I liked it. So I'm not going to say anything else about what's going to happen because then, you know, I'll ruin it for everybody. <laughs> right, right. But you can tell me privately. <laughs> I'll tell you after we're done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But there's a ways to go still. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. yeah I, I'm really enjoying it. Good. Everything. The description's important yeah, when, it, when it has to do with, um, yes. you know, especially when, um, like, the little gestures and yeah. the little, those little things that she notices are important yes because yeah. it sets the mood it yeah. sets you up for what's going yeah. on in her mind yeah. and 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 you know she talks she said things right to herself yeah so i wanted to make sure i included that because she's trying to keep this yeah uh, brave face and like yeah. she's she's yeah. got it all in control but meanwhile in in her mind she's going oh my goodness like yeah. and of course you know um she's worried about tripping yes because 
um, that's actually something that I have a, a lot of experience with. Yeah. Well, I'm, <laughs> Being I'm... so klutzy, right? <laughs> yeah. But um, I noticed that you did put in something about yourself because everything has to match. <laughs> what do you mean? What had well, to match? All your outfits have got to match, you know. <laughs> and that's exactly like her, you know. Um, even clothes and that. even your hangers have got to all go with the clothes that are on the hangers. So everything has got to match. The same with her. <laughs> she doesn't talk nothing about her closet, okay? Well, no, but, but all the clothes have to match. It is they, they had to well, match. No, they have to be perfect. Yeah. They have to be perfect. And then what did she end up doing? Which is exactly what I do, <laughs> what I do, and probably as millions of women yeah, do. Yeah. I yeah. try on 9,000 outfits, yeah. and it's like, well, this one makes me look the yeah, thinnest. Yeah. Like, honestly, I, I do that all the time. Yeah. Yeah, I do right? too. Yeah. yeah. Although I do have my clothes more matching now because I have learned from you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, oh, I, I enjoyed that um, that chapter. Yeah, I'm glad. Yeah. I'm yeah. glad. Was there something that was um, that you wondered about in terms of Mora? Um, she sounds like you, though. Does she? Like she says things that you would say, like <laughs> like what? you would whenever we would go somewhere, you'd be like, "Are you ready for?" And you would say, "Parte." Are you ready for the part? You used to say that all the time. Yeah, yes, I did, didn't I? Yeah. Yes. You still do. Oh, yes, I guess I do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, don't, I recognize what I see in you more than I recognize what yeah. I see in myself. Yeah. You know? yeah. And there's a lot yeah. of, of yeah. you in Mara, for sure. Yeah. 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 But, but yeah, I enjoyed that. And I, and I really do feel that way, by the way, when she's like, when Mara says to her, what do you mean? You, you should feel yourself the luckiest person alive. To yes. have a friend like me, I do feel that way. I really do. Really? Oh, I'm so thrilled. Well, you know why I didn't feel that way. Right? No, but I feel that about you. Yeah. Oh, I feel that about you. <laughs> oh, hug. No, I feel very lucky. Very, very, very lucky. Especially when when we first met, I thought you didn't like me. Do you remember that? Yeah. <laughs> I thought you didn't like me. Well, because she was so busy, you know, yeah. what you were doing. Yeah. And I, I was trying to, I was busy. Like we were both kind of, it was the beginning yeah. of, the, of the year, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. And we were both trying to, yeah. trying to get things yeah. sorted out. But look at now, it's been, yeah. Yeah. gosh, it's been almost 20 years. Has it yeah, been 20 years? How old, how old is... Um... My, okay, so my second is, yeah. Oh my gosh! I met you when my when Luke, yeah. my my second child was born, and he yeah. Oh my gosh, that was over he, twenty he, years ago. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's not even get into how old we are now. Yeah, no. <laughs> no, well, I was just a kid. Yeah, I was too. Yeah. I was a kid too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and we look the same, don't we? Yeah, we do. Absolutely, <laughs> we haven't aged one bit in over twenty years. For sure, we haven't. Just like it says in the book, Mora has an age. Yeah, that's right. right. Yes. She looks young for her age. And she loves when people say that she looks young yes. for her age. Yeah. Just yeah. like Hans said to her, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, well, we hope you liked are, 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 anything. Is there anything that you want to criticize? You don't have to just say good things, you know. There's, there could be no, things no. that you found confusing. No, I, no. Or no, I was, inaccurate. No, or I, I, Could you put a very clear picture in my mind? Oh, okay, good. Yeah, good. You did. Glad. Well, I guess we'll, on that note, we'll end the podcast. Okay. And you'll have to tune in to see what happens. Okay, I will. Um, and whether Angel yes, I meets Les. 
again after it. That's one of my. I love that bump into him when she bumps into yes, him. Yes, yeah. I love moments like that. So you're gonna get more of that. Uh, yeah. More of that later. Oh, good. Good, good, good. good. Okay. Uh-huh. So that's it for today. Have a great day, and we'll see you next time.